0: Data-Driven Podcast, and I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, we explore how to transform your company and career through data-driven decision-making. Want to become a data storytelling aficionado? Then sit back, relax, and get ready to unlock the true potential of your data. Here's the host of the Data-Driven Podcast, Dominic Bohan. Okay, welcome to the Data-Driven Podcast where we dive deep into getting more value from our business data. Whether you're a data professional, leader, or just curious about developing data skills, the Data Driven Podcast is here to guide you along your journey. I'm your host, and the co-founder of StoryIQ, Dominic Bohan. Today we're going to discuss measuring the return on investment of learning and development and diversity and inclusion initiatives. Joining us is Esther Lee, who's the VP of Global L&D at McCann World Group which is a global marketing agency and leader in advertising, branding, and commercials with 24,000 employees worldwide. McCann World Group is renowned for its work with brands such as Coca-Cola, L'Oreal, Nestle, and campaigns like Dumb Ways to Die and MasterCard's Priceless Ads. Today, Esther and I are going to discuss how to measure the return on impact of learning and development programs. Okay, here's my conversation with Esther Lee, the VP of Global L&D at McCann World Group. Esther, thanks for joining us on the Data Driven Podcast today.
1: I'm happy to be here.
0: Can you give us a bit of an overview to kick things off about some of the challenges that people in learning and development and HR face in proving the value of the programs that they implement to the business?
1: To kick things off at high level, those of you who are in L&D or HR in general would probably agree that the last few years of business have been tumultuous due to the pandemic, economic and cultural shifts, and also just different work models. Not to mention, our departments are often thought of as reactive, ones that are addressing learning needs or escalations after problems or challenges actually occur. So businesses need to be proactive and future-facing, therefore this is not a great look for us, right? In addition, we are in the business of people, which means that we're also often targeting what folks refer to as quote-unquote soft skills, which are not always easy to measure, while we are also dealing with a lot of unknown variables in our current environments. So I wanted to talk to you today about which metrics you can capture in order to showcase the impact of your programs to the business.
0: Okay, fantastic. So let's talk about some of those metrics. What can we prove to the business?
1: Let me start by listing the obvious and easier to capture metrics like attendance rate, participation rate through assessments or polls or quizzes, survey results that show ENPS or facilitation score, applicability score, or overall training engagement score. What I personally love measuring is the behavioral or upskilling impact before versus after training programs. I call this the A-B testing method. So for example, I've run sales enablement and onboarding programs in the past. In order to build the most impactful program, I created a scorecard consisting of every single measurable skill or behavior needed for our sales reps and new hires. This, of course, took a lot of collaboration and input from our stakeholders. So stakeholder management and communication and buy-in will all come in very handy here. So once I diagnosed where our current populations were at, I was able to clearly identify areas of improvement, whether it was objection handling for our sales reps or teaching Google Drive search skills to our new hires. And then I took a pilot group, controlled as many variables as possible, delivered my new training that targeted these areas, assessed the results on a daily, weekly, or sometimes even monthly basis, comparing the numbers to a control group who did not receive that training. This is the clearest way to see which behaviors you are actually targeting Um, and whether your programs are impactful, and to showcase the ROI of your programs to your stakeholders efficiently. Not only that, because I was assessing the program's impact beyond just when the training was actually delivered, but well beyond delivery, I was able to target the forgetting curve of the learners.
0: Yep, sorry, what was that forgetting curve?
1: Yes, the forgetting curve. For our listeners who are in the L&D world, I'm sure you could agree this is any trainer's worst nightmare because data tells us that on average, learners forget 90% of new information within the first seven days. However, this data is also a great driver for us to push for continuous learning and refresher courses and bite-sized assessments. Assessing learners or reinforcing their learning day after, a week after, or a month after training allows the forgetting curve to plateau a bit and for learners to increase retention in what they learned.
0: Okay, awesome. So the forgetting curve is not so much to evaluate the effectiveness of the initial training because we know people are going to forget things. It's a tool to help us reinforce what people have learned to make sure it is successful. Is that the main purpose?
1: It's really the hypothetical data that we should keep in mind as we build any sort of training programs. Programs should be built around the notion that too much information means more opportunity for learners to forget more information. So how do we keep the learning succinct, bite-sized, targeted with impactful behavioral changes that even the learner themselves can see and feel? So your program should also entail reinforcement plans depending on the targeted behavioral changes of the program. Based on the roles of your learners, you might be reinforcing on a daily basis through fun messages or simple polls through things like Zoom or Teams. For other roles, you may be quizzing folks in a monthly hands-on meetings or in their quarterly assessments online. Everything really depends on the role as well as timeline understanding when and how to reinforce training will be sure to ensure that you don't just have immediate RI, but long-term as well.
0: Okay. Makes sense. So can we drill into some of the metrics we've discussed? So we've got some of the obvious metrics like participation rates, survey results. Maybe we'll just start with those because I find at least, and I've, I've seen a lot of instances where these metrics get questioned heavily. So people say, okay, lots of people showed up to the training or lots of people said they liked the training. So what, how does that translate to value for the business?
1: I love this question because attendance is almost always tracked for learning programs, but it's often stopped there. A hundred percent of your company could have shown up to training and 99% of them could have forgotten 90% of what you taught them. Or even worse, 99% of them may have not even paid attention to the training. The very first thing you should consider is making the content itself applicable to those who are actually invited to the learning experience. The moment employees feel that the training isn't for them or isn't going to be beneficial to the work, you've already lost them. Secondly, add engaging activities throughout. With so many great virtual platforms today, even in remote settings, there are always things like pulling the audience, asking for their input through reactions, putting folks into smaller groups in breakout rooms for more intimate discussions, collaborating on activities created through design thinking methodology with tools like board or Padlet, or play competitive games through tools like Kahoot. The caveat here is don't overutilize any one method or one activity and don't add these activities just for the sake of adding an aspect of activity or an engagement. The activity itself should lend itself to be the absolute best solution to teaching and assessing the learners in that particular training so that it's not just an activity for the sake of having one. Once you have these activities in place, it's really easy to track engagement because you can see who has reacted, who has responded to the polls, who's actually collaborated on the shared board, who's responsive to the quizzes, or who actually typed into the chat or asked questions or engaged in the breakout rooms and so forth.
0: Can we drill into that for a second? I love this idea. I'm like, oh, wow, we're doing that at Story IQ. How do we do that, but ensure that it doesn't feel a bit Big Brother, where it's like, oh, did you participate in the chat panel, for example?
1: I love using the built-in functions in whatever platform the learners are in during the training. So thank Zoom polls and breakout rooms, Teams q and function or reaction buttons, because it is easier and more intuitive for the learner. Also, as I mentioned some of my favorite tools earlier, like Mirrorboard or Padlet that capture collaboration in real time while allowing the learners to create a workable product together is awesome. I tend to use Kahoot or Poll Everywhere a lot because the questions are easy to build. The UX is very easy and learners often get really into it because it can get kind of competitive in a fun way.
0: Can I just uh, explain for our listeners? So Kahoot is a quiz tool that can be built in, especially to virtual training. And then Padlet is fantastic software that lets you basically dump or share anything from your screen in a secure way and let the entire class, if you like, see it. Exactly.
1: The beauty of all of these tools is that regardless of the data output, the system allows you to get your hands on. There will always be other workarounds you can implement to get more data if you really want or need it. For example, in a mirror board, you may not always have learners who assign names to their cursors, so you won't always know who is typing what. But you will at least see the number of cursors participating in the activity. Even for Padlet, you could see how much activity is actually happening. And sometimes it's better to allow folks to work anonymously so they have the freedom and comfort to really learn in a safe environment. The point is that your learners are now engaged, partaking in your thoughtfully designed activity instead of multitasking during training time.
0: These engagement measures that you get from the use of this software or even the built-in features in Zoom that could be as simple as the chat panel, are you using the software to measure them in an automated way or is it a more manual process? If someone looks and subjectively says, was there a lot of chat panel engagement or did a lot of people participate in the Kahoot quiz?
1: That's a great question. A lot of polling platforms will give you that exact metric, whereas something that is created for collaboration, like a Padlet or a mirror board, uh, you won't be able to track that as much using hard numbers. And so you would need to do that manually. With that said, both of those tools will give you a result and an actual product to that collaboration activity. So depending on how you set up the board, you could be assigning things to your learners' names in them so that they have ownership to what they are putting in. If you're using the built-in tools, but ones that do not give you a hard metric like the chat or Q&A, at least you could use those transcripts to, one, have maybe something like AI tell you what the themes of the chat were. Two, you could see which attendees had what types of questions or reactions to your training so that you could really analyze this manually as needed. And then three, you could also look at what percentage of attendees were actually active or engaged
0: with those tools. Okay, so these are great metrics there. Even if there's some subjectivity in interpreting the data from these platforms, you can still get to an objective number. You could define in advance what's a good level of uh, participation, for example. How do we then translate that to value an ROI?
1: In order to showcase ROI, we first need to calculate the cost of training per participant. Of course, this is much easier to calculate if you're using a vendor because they lay that out for you. But if you're building a lot of bespoke internal training, you won't always be able to get that exact number here. Especially if you're utilizing tools like an online platform that costs a certain amount of money quarterly, or if you're looking at the time spent on creating the course itself, or the learner's time invested in ongoing course participation and so forth. But starting somewhere will allow you to begin that ROI conversation with your leadership. Secondly, Going back to A-B testing I discussed earlier on, isolating your pilot groups, controlling as many variables as possible, and measuring the before and after impact of training is going to be really important. So that you're showing your leaders, here are the competency gaps that were identified, then addressed to this pilot group. Here is the impact of the program based on the pilot group's changed behavior or knowledge through assessments and activities compared to those who did not partake in the training. Thirdly, there are not-so-hard numbers that we always need to consider, which are very cultural, human, and environmental, if you will. It's the qualitative metrics like the poll survey questions that ask your employees, do you see yourself becoming a leader at this company? or I have career growth opportunities at this company and rate that. Or my company cares for my career trajectory and provides relevant training for my role and rating that. If you ask these questions to current employees as well as in exit surveys to those who are jumping ship, much of L&D's learning strategy will get highlighted and the ROI will be telling through employee retention, sentiment, and engagement. And don't forget, these numbers will have an A-B aspect to them as well. Capturing the results to these questions before the programs were implemented versus after will also become key measurements of success.
0: Okay. And I like this before and after approach. Now, it sounds like there's all sorts of things we can measure, but maybe there's two broad categories. There's the competency, i.e. do I have the skills? So if we're teaching salespeople... Do I understand how to put together a proposal that addresses the client's need? And then there's outcomes where we could also look at, are they actually closing more deals after the training as well? Would that be a reasonable way to segment the two types of metrics that we'd measure from like an A-B test?
1: Yes, that's a simple and effective way to bucket the two types of measurements. One, that's more around the competencies, hard skills and knowledge. And the second, that's more around a cultural shift and the way employees feel about learning, engage with training and have pride for where they work.
0: Cool. So let's break it down. So in terms of the cost, we've got the direct cost of the training. Do you also take into account the opportunity cost of the learner's time?
1: Yes, learners and leaders alike will often think, how much time am I spending in this training when I could be doing work instead? And this is why addressing that second bucket of changing the employee mindset and building a learning culture at the company level is really important. Understanding that every training will help you improve and allow you to be better in your job somehow is a learned behavior and sentiment. Going back to making your training engaging from the beginning, adding in the activities and reinforcing the learning so as to address the forgetting curve will all contribute to addressing the learner part of this. On the other side of the challenge is the leaders. You need their buy-in and their sponsorship and championship, so that the excitement around learning starts at the top and trickles down. Get your leaders to invite the learners, record your CEO getting excited about the training, have a C-level exec with a large social capital and influence, come join the training to be a co-facilitator. You can plant renowned leaders in the room to react or to ask questions. Um, And all of these little moments of push will greatly influence the larger employee population to truly engage in the training With all that said, though, the training itself, of course, has to be well-designed so that learners are indeed becoming more efficient, more knowledgeable, and more effective through your training.
0: Okay, so we've got to prove the value to the learner as well as the business sponsor that's paying for the training. Cool, so that's on the cost side. And then on the value side, the easiest thing is, of course, yeah, you're training salespeople. You can show an uplift in the amount of deals they close. How do we go from learning a soft skill, like uh, how to present data more effectively, for example, how to create better presentations, where well, we may never be able to trace it in a perfectly provable way to bottom line impact, but we can still show that people have massively uplifted their skills and retain that knowledge since the training. Do we make some assumptions? How could we translate that into a number if someone's really pushing for that ROI calculation?
1: This is such an important question because a lot of what we do can be seen as quote unquote soft skills, but even these soft skills need to be taught like they're hard skills, as in we should be able to put quantifiable measurements to them. If you want a simple solution, I'll just mention two. One is to use self-assessments and manager assessments. Responding to your example of learning how to create great presentations you could ask the learner to rate themselves in this skill, ask them questions around their anxiety levels or confidence levels around creating presentations. You would ask the same questions to the employee's manager and or those who are on the receiving end of that presentation. So then after training, you would ask those questions again so that you can compare the numbers almost in a 360 manner. How do you now feel about creating presentations post-training? What do your manager and stakeholders think? This goes back to the notion of A-B testing. Second, going back to the reinforcements that you've built into your program, you could simply check the progress of the learners from beginning of the training, during the training, and post-training, one week, 30 days, or 60 days after. Uh, You should be able to gradually see how employees are getting more creative with their presentations on their anxiety levels, and see that it's dropped off because they've practiced so many times. Um, I'm speaking very broadly here because creating great presentations is a very subjective and broad skill, depending on the role. But in a real program design, you would identify exactly what skills and competencies are needed and could be measured to evaluate a great presentation. So you would start there.
0: Okay, so we've got self-assessment, assessment from others, And do you do any testing? Is that part of the forgetting curves where we can say objectively, maybe do a multiple choice quiz to see if they've mastered the skills that they were trained on?
1: The short answer is yes. To double click, I've been fortunate enough in my career to always have some sort of an LMS or a learning platform to be able to host self-paced quizzes or assessments. In those self-paced courses or assessments, you could host the reinforcement modules or assess learners in a timely manner. However, we have to be careful in how we use the assessment results here because the last thing you want is either for employees to feel defeated if they're looking at their low score or for managers to use this as a way to hinder someone's promotion. Something I personally love to do is instead of failing people at certain pass-fail rates, I reward those who receive a certain score or above by giving them certificates or badges. I've created ones where they look super official with the employee's manager signature and even the CEO's signature on the certificate. And I would then encourage the learner to add this to their email signature or to their LinkedIn profile so that we can socialize it. As in, have every team member, leader, their manager congratulate the learner and like or comment on the post. This not only creates a sense of community and pride for the employee, but also allows people outside of your org to see all the great learning that's happening internally. You're almost promoting your learning programs through these wins.
0: That sounds great. So we do that with some of our courses. So we offer certificates, so a bit of an incentive for people to do the, the quiz or the certification. And, um, Really curious about how to get the messaging right so people feel that it's not a stick measure, that it's not something where if they perform poorly on the test, for example, they'll be performance managed. How do you get that message across?
1: This is where the company culture and manager training will become extremely important. Learning should always be engaging, celebrated, anticipated, impactful, valuable, and valued. Pilots, Program kickoffs, training launches, end of programs, reinforcements, assessment progress, and results alike should all be celebrated. One should never be fearful when learning. The amygdala, the area of your brain that helps you learn and process emotions, actually becomes anxious and hinders learning if you are afraid. Managers and leaders should be supportive of all learners, regardless of the number of tries it takes for them to get to the goal, as long as they're still in it, trying their best and ultimately getting there. A note I will add here is we should also be changing the culture of L&D. Learners failing something does not equate to their actual failure. This actually might mean that we didn't do a great job explaining that particular concept to that particular employee who may learn differently. Assessments are a two-way street, so l should always be looking at results to not penalize learners but to iterate on the program so that it's becoming the best version it can be, just like the learners. You will feel this cultural shift when your learners start getting comfortable with you, start giving you feedback on the program and the assessments, and start to value your work through engagement and interest, which is just a beautiful thing all around.
0: Okay, so it's not just an impersonal email of, you've got to fill out, you've got to do this multiple-choice quiz, We're creating a relationship with the learners where they could say, hey, I think maybe this question is flawed or we didn't even learn this in the training and so forth. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So to round things out, we've looked at a range of different metrics we can use. Some of the obvious metrics, which are still useful, but my takeaway from this is that the obvious metrics like participation rate, surveys asking about engagement, can be useful, but are alone not enough. And ideally, we need to look at the skills gaps before and after the training. And in the most ideal case, even A-B test in a neutral way so that we can see who's gained different skills and whether the training has been effective in people learning those skills. We can measure it with self-assessment as well as assessment from others. And finally, of course, we've talked about more objective assessments, tests, if you like, in some way to not invoke that school mentality of, oh, no, there's a test coming up. So that has been very uh, enlightening. Can you share perhaps a story to tie it all together of an instance where maybe there's a challenge in proving the ROI to a stakeholder and you've been able to use these metrics and tell a story to show what the impact of a training program or course was?
1: I would love to share my story from when I was heading up the sales enablement and the L&D department together in the past. I was in charge of creating a world-class, fully virtual onboarding for our new sales reps. We were hiring almost 30 or 40 of them a month, while our manager numbers couldn't increase at the same pace. Not to mention, some of the managers were new managers. So as you could imagine, I met with multiple stakeholders multiple times, sometimes at very unreasonable hours because this became a high stakes, high priority program for the company. I aligned with senior leaders on their vision for the role and for the team, expected skills for the role and outcomes of the onboarding program. I aligned with the team managers on their bandwidth, concerns, behaviors expected of new hires, the learning curve of the job, etc. I also met with many of the existing sales reps to better understand what their previous onboarding and training experience was like and to address current challenges of the role. I worked closely with both the quality assurance and data teams as well as the talent acquisition team. Uh, In order to identify measurable skills, we could check through interviews, call recordings, employee questions, and other behaviors. All of this groundwork helped me create a super thorough spreadsheet of every necessary skill needed for the sales role and the timeline for when these reps should be attaining those skills. We tied behaviors or assessment to every behavior and skill that we identified, and I built out my program backwards. So I knew exactly how they should sound on the phone 60 days in. So building a program from that point and backwards to the very first day that they join, from understanding our company values, responsibilities as a learner, to the sales team culture, training cadences, and expected outcomes of week one, 30 days, 60 days into the role, truly gave clarity and visibility to the sales reps who were coming in. I also ensured that we had manager training, which I won't get into today. But this ensured that managers were also aligned to the new hire training, the goals of the onboarding, and how to use the assessments from the training. Every piece of data So the new hire sentiment, manager and employee feedback, the QA team's call scores, the talent acquisition team's interview scores, employee assessments were all recorded into the spreadsheet to showcase the ROI of the program. Overall, the program only became stronger over time with more feedback and more employee input to a point that we took parts of that training to upskill existing sales reps to elevate the entire sales org.
0: Fantastic story to round it out. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Data Driven Podcast. Thanks to Esther Lee, VP of Global L&D at McCann World Group for joining us. Join us again tomorrow when Esther and I are going to discuss how to measure the impact of your diversity and inclusion initiatives. If you can't wait till our next episode and you'd like to learn more about Esther, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes or visit her company website, McCann World Group. One link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes listening to this podcast, head over to Data Driven Pod, where we've got summaries of all our episodes and contact information for our guests. And of course, you can always reach out to me directly. My handle on Twitter is at Bohan Dominic. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a steady stream of data driven inspiration in your podcast feed, we're publishing multiple episodes each week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed tomorrow. That's all for today, but until next time, remember, when it comes to data, less is more.